You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Ron Lichty. He is the author of one of the very few books on managing software people and teams, a book published by Addison Wesley called Managing the Unmanageable. It already sounds amazing. I know it's going to be like a great, great interview and probably Ron has amazing stories. Through his career, he's been a programmer, a manager, a director, a VP of engineering and a CTO. He now consults in helping software teams find both improved outcomes and increased joy. Hi, Ron. Hey, how are you? Good, good, you? Great. Do you want to add uh, something else? the introduction I uh, so um, I um, I think that's I think that's about as succinct as you can get so I've had a, oh. I've had a long career as a programmer and then as uh, as a manager of programmers and programming teams and product teams and I've pretty much managed everybody every every different role on product teams well, then you have to have a lot of stories. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward. So without much further ado, um, what's the biggest leadership success story that uh, you've witnessed and you would like to share with us? So, um, you know, the, I, I, so I, I was a programmer for seven years and then I began managing. The, my, my opportunity to manage came from Apple Computer. Apple made me an offer to come manage a, um, a group of product managers in development Whoa, tools. Nice. And, um, and I realized as I, as I entered Apple, so I, uh, Steve Jobs had left Apple already, but it was really his culture. And, uh, and I, I realized that I had been thinking about leadership for a long time at that point. And so I spent seven years at Apple, and then I was at a couple of small companies, and then I went to Charles Schwab, which is a, a stock brokerage in the United States, um, the the largest uh, stock, the largest um, cut rate stock brokerage, uh, and and one of the very first uh, online stock brokerages, and uh, and. I was in this second company and I, and I had been thinking about that. I'd been thinking that at Apple, I had seen the epitome of leadership in, in, uh, in what Steve okay. Jobs had done. There was sort of Steve, Steve, you know, they talked about Steve as having a real, uh, a, a reality distortion field around him. And, uh, and, and, and I thought of him as you know, sort of leader as televangelist. Right, so the, the oh. he, was, he was the kind of leader who could get up on a stage and and just and whether he was describing it an organization or whether he was describing a product, he could make it swim in front of your eyes. You would see it palpably. This oh. thing that didn't even exist yet, and uh, and so I was thinking of leader as televangelist, and then I got to Schwab and found what I believe to be another level higher than that. Which another was, level higher. A leader, leader, which it, which I described it, uh, which I, I think it gets described as inspired leadership, and it's it's okay. leaders who are willing to be vulnerable, leaders who share who they are and what their core values are in storytelling, um, and I, and I found um, 
uh, Chuck Schwab and, and his co-CEO, Dave Patrick, and the, our CIO, who was heading the organization I was part of, a woman named Don Lepore, and the, and the three of them were, um, Don, Don could get up, whether, whether she was speaking to all, 2000, all 2,500 people in the technology organization, or she was talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, you felt inspired talking to her. And part of it was that she shared who she was in a way, she, she shared vulnerability as did Chuck Schwab, as did Dave Patrick, and, and it, was, it was a level of, um, it was a level of leadership that, that I found, um, well, I, I, I was delighted to be inspired. I, I later learned that all three of them, Chuck Schwab and Dave Patrick and Don Lepore, had been coached by the same guy, a guy named Terry Pierce. Terry yeah. Pierce wrote a book called Leading Out Loud, and the Tom Peters organization, Tom Peters is a famous leadership uh, writer, and, and uh, Tom Peters put together an organization and, and put together some classes. And he turned uh, Terry Pierce's book, Leading Out Loud, into a class. And I got to take that class. And, and, um, and How was it? It was, it was transformative, frankly. It... Um, I went from believing that inspiration was something that Chuck and Dave and Don could do, but it didn't apply to me. I couldn't do that. To realizing that by opening up and being vulnerable and connecting my core values and, and my story of my core values and where they came from to the the change message that I was trying to do. So I was leading an initiative at Schwab to move all of Schwab's software development, thousands of people doing software development to use the same platform. Up until that point, teams could use any, any technology they wanted. And, okay. uh, and that class helped me to understand how to do that. So basically connecting to your human side and letting other people see it. Yes. Yes. Could you and, could you and, and, give and, like and, an example and, where can could you give like an example where you showed your human side? Yeah. So um, we were the 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 initiative I was leading was to move. You know, up until that point, any project team could pick any technology it wanted, and uh, and so we had so our, our data center and and we were of course on prem in those days. This, this was uh, twenty years ago. Um, our data nice. center was our, da our data center was supporting every almost every technology that existed from Microsoft to Java oh my God. To, uh, to, C to various versions of C. I, I don't think we had any Spitball or Snowball, but we had almost every other <laughs> language uh, in the and certainly COBOL. In the you know we we had a ton of of uh, technologies, and, and and I realized that I was not just leading a technology initiative; I was leading a, a culture change initiative and the culture change was that we needed to become a we needed to become we need to build it with the we need so the the technology we were moving to is java and that oh and we we're going to and we we're going to do all of our new development in java and the and the culture change was that we needed to build a community of developers in java that we 
needed to, to not just do our best work to delight our customers, but we needed to share that work and we needed to do, and, and we needed to not reinvent things. And uh, to give you, to come back to your question of an example, I grew up on, I grew up in a farming community in a very prosperous farming community in the middle of the United States in Iowa. And okay. I remember when I was a kid, my dad would go down to the lumber store, uh, the, the lumber yard or the, or the, uh, the feed store or the co-op or to church, but he'd talk to other farmers and they would share with each other what they were trying. They were trying contour farming and they were trying different, different row, uh, different row widths with each other. And, and they were sharing what, what they were trying, what was working with each other and that culture of sharing that I grew up with was was indelibly linked to that culture of sharing that I was trying to create at Schwab. Ah, it's interesting how you took something from your background and use it to drive you forward uh, in your leadership uh, position. Yeah, and it's exactly what I found. What I what I realized that that Chuck and Don and and Dave had been doing all along was they were sharing who they were in the context of the change and leadership that they were trying to deliver. Well, well, Ron, now I have another book on my back burner to read: "Leading Out Loud." <laughs> okay, and. Um, now that you know, like your, uh, yes, I, I have to say, I took the I took the class. I didn't read the book, but um, <laughs> but, the, but the but the class was stunning, and this and the class is based on the book, so the book should be a good one. Are they still doing the classes, or from what you know, or not anymore? Um, the classes were originally were, were when I took them. They were done by a, a Tom Peters organization. They moved them over to another organization called Blessing Light. Which I believe is still uh, is still delivering that class. Well, Terry Terry Pierce himself died last year, and it was uh, you know it was you could feel the change in the force. Yeah, God bless him. Well, now um, let's shift a little gears and talk about. Uh, a more unpleasant situation, which is like a leadership failure, but usually we learn more from our failures than from our successes. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I could probably come up with a bunch of different choices, but one of them, when I first became a manager, this was at Apple, <clears throat> and, and I had the, um, my experience of, of, managers, my experience of leaders, my experience of bosses was that they fell into two camps. They either were micromanagers, they either told you every single thing to do, and I, and I wasn't having any of that, or most of the managers I'd, have, I'd had were managers who threw you in the deep end and, and, just let, and just watched to see whether you sank or swam. And I thought that was, <laughs> okay. I thought that was what uh, what being a manager was, you know, you just handed handed a really hard problem to one of your employees and, and said go. Um, my first manager in programming, um, I'd walked in the door. He um, he said, "Well, so 
we're going to, uh, I, what I want you to do is I want you to take this program that was written in an assembly language that, uh, that you've never seen before, but it's sort of like one you know. And I want you to translate it into this higher level language that you also never seen before. And, and it's not <laughs> a lot like, it's not a lot like anything you know, but, but you'll figure it out. And oh, by the way, I'm going to I'm going to Phoenix for two weeks. This is before cell phones. Um, so I'm going to Phoenix for two weeks, and I'll be out of touch. And I'm sure you'll have it done by the time I get back. No, wow. making it super easy for you. Yeah, making it super easy for me. And so I thought that's what management looked like. And um, and you know, I started this product management group, and my first employee was this kid straight out of college. He had been uh, he'd been an intern at Apple once before, and and uh, and he'd come back, and he was and he arrived in my group, and I I did that. I gave him you know hard, a hard problem and said go figure it out, and and then I and then I went and my boss said um, you know we've got we've got this thing called Apple University, and it's for it's for managers to learn how to be better managers, and I went off and took this class called situational leadership, in which it talked about um, a, a third way, not throwing people in the deep end, not micromanaging, but actually delegating and supporting. And and the the difference between you know when you're a rookie and and when you've got experience or when you're being thrown into a new domain versus a domain that you know and 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 as a manager how you support people. And I came back from that class. It was just eye opening for me. Uh, I I looked at what I had done and said, Oh my God, I did that to this to this person who works for me. And I came back and sat down with him and said, Tom, I'm sorry. <laughs> I threw you in the deep end and, uh, and, and, I'm, I, and I'm going to, I'm actually going to support you going forward. And he let out the biggest sigh of relief that I think I've ever gotten from somebody. And I thought, okay, I was right. I really did throw him in the deep end and that really wasn't the right thing to do. And uh, and it was truly a truly a failure on my part and and a and a recovery, thanks to um, thanks to getting some some training and some understanding of how to be a better manager. Yeah, that, that's why it's important. Let's say you take a promotion, you get a, get into management. Okay, you might not know, but as long as you're learning and improving yourself. It's good, but if you just stay and you're not open to new ideas, new 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 ways of approaching the the same situations, uh, it's not good for you because you end up working 80, 90 hour weeks, or uh, and you also end up burning out your whole team, and you're not going to make too many friends in that situation. Yeah, yeah. you know we've got this we've got this idea. When we go from being, <clears throat> when we go from being a programmer to being a, a manager, you know, we've got this idea. We we bowled our way through one programming language after another. We bowled our way through one programming challenge after another, and we have this idea that we can just walk into managing without any experience, any training, any any thought about. It. I mean, somebody looked at us and said, uh, "Well, you've got some people skills. You be the manager." And 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 we think we we can just bull our way through it. And and frankly, I'm I'm really sorry for the very first employees I had because it was, you know, that's exactly how it works. Is you sort of bull your way through it because you don't have any experience or any training in it. 
And, uh, and, and to your point, continuing to be a learner is, is probably the most important thing to being a manager. Yeah. And it's something sad because as a, uh, as a developer, as a person working hands-on in the technical field, you have to learn all the time. So you're used to it, but I don't know something happens when you move into management. It's like you forget that you used to learn each day new stuff. Then you're like, oh, now I'm a manager. No need to learn any new techniques, anything else. Uh, I can finally jump off the, the hamster wheel and just enjoy my time. And you end up working more that way. And it's not and a happy situation it, for anybody. And it turns out it's a new hamster wheel. Yes, you just have to keep. One. Yeah, yeah, bigger one, and you and you have to keep learning a whole new set of stuff. Yes, and Ron, since you have so much experience, um, if you have to summarize like your leadership point of view and create like a sort of philosophy about leadership, what would that be? Yeah, so I think I think that um, in our in our book. We uh, we give a couple of pages to three different uh, three different um, thought leaders in leadership and motivation. Um, one of, one of those is uh, is Maslow. Almost everybody knows Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. Um, uh, and and we talk about how it applies to leadership and to uh, programming management. Um, another one of those is Hertzberg, who talks about. Uh, um, motivators and demotivators, which is which is really interesting stuff. It was a real aha for me. But the but the coming back to your question, the third is is a guy named Douglas McGregor. And Douglas McGregor in the 1950s and 1960s is the guy who who posited that the kind of management that had been done up until then, what, what you know, industrial revolution kind of management, telling people what to do, being authoritarian. Um, um, being repressive, actually, was uh, he, he referred to that as X-theory management, in which managers push down on their teams. Yes. And he posited that what we need going forward, and this is back in the 1950s, he posited that what we need going forward is, is, is something he called Y-theory management, where the, the manager is the, is, the, uh, post, is the post on the Y character and is, and is basically supporting the whole team. His, the, the manager's job is to be an enabler and an empowerer. And, uh, and so that's how I, you know, I think um, in, a lot of, in a lot of ways, so, so Agile introduced the term, it, it didn't make up the term, the term's thousands of years old, servant leadership. And servant leadership uses those same words that McGregor used in the 1950s, words like enabling and empowering. And, and so I, I think my, my leadership philosophy goes to McGregor and it goes to servant leadership and, and it goes to the, the role that, uh, that I think Agile calls on us as managers to take um, in an agile organization, which is which is to to create the culture that allows teams to thrive, that um, you know I, I believe that team joy and team productivity are indelibly linked, and if you can if you can find ways for teams to feel joy, you'll also find ways for teams to be hyper productive, because they'll love working together and love delighting customers. 
Oh, that's for sure. And it's interesting, like the, that, it appeared like in the in the fifties. This this idea, and what I find like interesting, it's it's not yet embraced by a wide set of managers yet. And you still have the industrial revolution type of managing happening now in creative industries. So it's not just software, anything that's creative. You cannot manage it like you would manage a factory, a, a plant. It's, it, it's totally different uh, because here you're trying to inspire people and get their best ideas out. They're not screwing the same screw each day, eight hours a day. They're trying to find out new ways of doing stuff. And um, this is not, it's not something that lends itself to a top-down approach. Yeah, so I, I, I find it sort of ironic that here's McGregor who's describing this in a, in a book that he wrote in the 1960s about his research in the 1950s. And, and it takes 45 years until Agile comes along to just begin to introduce those ideas into um, into our programming culture, uh, you know, our our in our our book is our book came out in the, our book managing the unmanageable came out in the second edition uh, just in December, and we added a chapter to it and the and the chapter title is if you are agile what do managers do, and it's it's that shift in thinking from telling people what to do to enabling teams to do their best work to being a resource that that's what you have to be basically from my point of view is you have to be a resource and help people help themselves basically yes okay um so what would be your top three leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders so the um the now, so i'm going to i'm going to phrase them in terms of rules of thumb so um we, my co-author okay. and I built our, our my co-author and I built our book around rules of thumb. We had been, uh, my co-author and I had 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 been friends for a decade. At the point at which we decided to write a book, and we had been having both of uh, uh, Mickey was a, a CTO and a, a, a senior vice president of engineering at uh, a really a really um, powerful um, entertainment software company. And I had been uh, heading uh, engineering at an entertainment software company that had more eyeballs than just about anybody else did. And and at the point at which we got to know each other, and we'd been sitting down and having breakfasts on weekends every every few weeks for a decade, and we found ourselves trading rules of thumb over the breakfast table about, really nice. about being effective in a sort of mentoring mentoring each other and coaching each other. And we thought, why don't we collect those rules of thumb and, and put them into a book? And then we ended up writing um, nine and now 10 chapters around that. So the center of the book is 300 rules of thumb. And one of those is that, uh, and one of those things, one of those, uh, uh, come back to leadership tips, is that's really important to me is software development is a team sport. Uh, you know, I, I um, when I began training teams and so I, I started training teams in agile so I, uh, I, I take on uh, VP engineering roles and I also train teams in agile I train executives in agile and 
And 11 years ago, when I started training teams in Agile, I was fundamentally transforming waterfall teams to Agile, as all of us were, you know, a decade and more ago. But in the last few years, what I find myself doing is transforming Agile teams to Agile. I, I, <laughs> very frequently, there's the a irony. It, it's, it's a huge irony, and I walk in the door, and I find, and I find too often that who, what I find is that it's not really a team. It's really a group of individuals who report to the same stand-up. And that's, you know, and, and, and they're all acting as individuals as opposed to acting as a team. And so my, my, my rule of thumb is that software development is a team sport. And it's really become a mantra for me over the last few years. So I was, I was really gratified when I went and looked back at the book. The first edition of the book came out eight years ago, and it's in there. So I was gratified to, re- to, to say, <laughs> this is not new with me. I, I, I knew this at least eight years ago because we put it, Mickey and I put it into the book then. But it has really become a mantra for me. Um, and and you know, I think the corollaries to um, software development as a team sport are, are one, psychological safety. We as managers, we as leaders have to find ways to foment the, the, the to foment and foster psychological safety because that's, that's the fundamental, um, that's the foundation of teamwork. It's the foundation of teams being joyful and productive, those two things together. Um, and then secondly, to really foster self-organizing teams. And self-organizing teams, okay. in, in my definition, are teams in which every single member of the team is a leader. Even the intern is a leader. The, the, every, everyone feels, everyone on that team is, is unafraid of sharing from the knowledge base they've got from the expertise base they've got and and if you don't have a, if you don't have an intern who can do that you probably hired the wrong intern because you know you're going to get somebody out of college who's learned something that that is is new in the educational sphere that we have the, that those of us who who've been out of college for a while haven't heard about and we want and we sure. want to bring that in so we want we want you know, it's not like we want our intern to do the architecting. It's not like we want our architect to do the product management. It's not like we want our product manager to do the coding. We want everybody to bring their expertise to the party and to, and to, and, and that leadership to pass back and forth among everybody on the team. And it's like, if you've got a really great programming team, it's like you've got a jazz group where everybody, you know, everybody plays their instrument and everybody solos from time to time, and that soloing passes back and forth among the jazz group, and it passes back and forth transparently because everybody listens to each other, and, and they're listening for how do we as a team or a jazz group make the kind of music and delight the customers and the, and the way that we can all best do it together. Oh, I love that metaphor. And it's important to have like knowledge sharing and everybody bringing their their best foot forward. So in the team. So if you have even one team member, I find that's a knowledge hoarder who doesn't want to share, doesn't want to to say what's on their mind. It really starts propagating for the whole team, and then doesn't take long to to have like 
castles. Yeah, and so this is this is the castles. I like that. This is the challenge for those of us who are managers and leaders is is to connect with those people and to and to help them to see how much more they'll get out of it by not being a hoarder, but by being a sharer. Yes. Oh, amazing. Um, now I know you've uh, mentioned the book leading out loud do you have another book that had a profound impact on you uh can i name four? Oh yeah sure the more the merrier <laughs> okay so um the you know i i think one that uh, is on almost every engineering manager's shelf uh and and probably should be and it's not about leadership it's about project management but it's the mythical man month by fred brooks yes and uh, and it was written, you know, it was written over 45 years ago, and yet it has truths. It's still true. It, 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 After it all is, this time, it, it's a shame, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're st- and, and we're still challenged by the same misconceptions about software. Uh, you know, Fred, Fred Brooks, Brooks Law, he coined Brooks Law, Fred Brooks coined Brooks Law, that, that adding, adding resources to a late project will make it later. And yet oh, yes. all of us find ourselves from time to time in companies in which executives think that, oh, well, you guys are late. Let me just, let me just add a few more people to your team and, and that'll solve the problem. And, uh, and, it, and it's just, <laughs> well, Fred Brooks is just so succinct and so wonderful in describing how broken an idea that is and, and, uh, and what we have to do. And so I think, that, I think that one's really important. I think from an inspirational standpoint, my uh, my favorite inspirational book about software development is a book called Joy Inc. Uh, Joy comma Inc. for Incorporated or Joy Inc. Yes. Uh, this is this is Rich Sheridan's book, and it's a case study of a company that is more agile than most companies are, and it's a and it's a and it's a real story of inspiration. This is a story of of um, Rich recreating a, a, a consulting company. And trying to put joy back in soft back in software development consulting, which is which is a really hard, you know, people are on the bench and they're and they're working out in out yes. in client companies and it's, it's it's a really hard thing and I think he really did it and I think it's a really um, inspirational story. And a, a third book for me is um, team is a book called Teamwork as an Individual Skill by Christopher Avery. And, uh, and, I, and I really like how Christopher Avery thinks about teamwork and about each of us as individuals on a team need to own the team's output, uh, team's outcomes. And if each of us owns the outcomes, then we will together own the outcomes. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a really helpful way of thinking about uh, teamwork and the responsibilities that every member of a team has. Yes. And then the fourth book is a book that I came across last year that takes teamwork to the organizational level, to the uh, to the tribal level. It's actually called Tribal Unity uh, by a woman uh, named M. E. M. Campbell Pretty out of uh, out of Australia. And Tribal Unity is. Um, mm-hmm. It, tribal unity is inspiring from that notion of well, it's not just a team, but it's a it's a group of teams, 
and 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 uh, and she uses the word tribe. It's a tribe of teams, and so an organization of a hundred, which is maybe ten teams or or twelve. Uh, how do we how do we create teamwork across that whole organization? Because all the whole organization is working on uh, uh, when we've got a larger organization working on the same software, the same customers, the same uh, this this trying to create that same sense of delight in our uh, in yes. our customer base. So, so, so there's four. Oh, awesome, awesome books. More reading to be done. <laughs> so I, I know so many books. A little time. Oh yeah, I really have a backlog, and I'm adding more and more <laughs> to it. Me too. Um, Ron, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Well, so uh, I have two websites. One is one is one is my own. So ronlichty.com. Uh, and if you have trouble spelling my name, then then go to the other one, managingtheunmanageable.net. And uh, and some people have trouble spelling managing the unmanageable. So if you look up managing the unmanageable on Amazon, so it's got an e in there that some people forget to put in. But but if you forget to put it in on Amazon, Amazon will still find it. So, uh, okay. so if you find managing the unmanageable on 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 uh, Amazon, then you can put it, and then you can type in managing the unmanageable dot net, and uh, and and my two my personal website, my my consulting website, and and our book website point to each other. Um, so then you've got the spelling of both run like the and managing the unmanageable. That's awesome. So what and, 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 and I should note, and I, and I should note that what you'll find on the websites, there are bonus tools, tools that my co-author and I used and share for managing. There are uh, a, a whole bunch more rules of thumb that we've continued to collect beyond the 300 that are in the book, um, it, which has been called the creamy center of the book, by the way. Uh, wow. the, uh, the results of, so I'm also the co-author of the study of product team performance, where we asked uh, people on product teams all over the world to characterize their teams and their practices, and so the results of those studies are there on uh, on my on my consulting website, and then there are talks and writing that my co-author and I have done uh, addressing specific challenges in in managing software uh, software people and teams, and there are even pointers to the video training that uh, we recorded through O'Reilly for software engineering managers a, a video training called managing software and people and teams life lessons yeah well at least get ron's book managing the unmanageable um i haven't read it yet i have to be honest but I, it, it's on my top priority it bumped a lot it bumped other books down um get it you'll get a wealth of information i'm sure uh it's been a pleasure having you ron on the show thank you very much a delight thank you Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.